some years ago, I attended a district political convention, and during that time, uh, different candidates would get up and introduce themselves and tell what office they were running for. And one man got up and he said, I don't suppose I need to introduce myself because you all know who I am. And he talked about what office he was going to be running for. I didn't know who he was. I turned to the person sitting next to me and said, who is that? And they said, I don't know. <laughs> so I am Bill Acker, <laughs> member of Wisconsin Presbytery. My wife and I attend uh, worship here at Livingstone, and I help out in different ways. I preach on occasion to uh, help Josh out and help with uh, interviews for new members and things like that. So Josh asked if I would preach this morning on 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. And I'll read that in just a moment. But before I do that, let me tell you a few things by way of introduction to the sermon. When I was probably about 14 in the early 1960s, my father... I guess my father and mother both gave me a birthday present, which was a transistor radio, which was probably the size of a modern cell phone. It was thicker, but it was about the same dimensions otherwise. And not only that, but there was a speaker that I could plug the transistor radio into that would boost the sound tremendously. And not only that, but there was a coil of wire which could be used as an external speaker. So I could plug that in. I mean, as an external antenna, plug that in, run it up someplace, and you could pick up radio signals from some distance away, which was pretty nice. Now, that was back in the day before they had digital tuning. So you actually had to turn a knob in order to zone in on whatever frequency you were trying to receive. So sometimes uh, that was hard to get the exact station you wanted because you were sort of just uh, in the general area. But not only that, depending on where you lived, there might be two radio stations that would broadcast on the same frequency. They might be some distance apart, but if you lived kind of like halfway between them, you could pick up both of those signals at the same time. You'd hear these voices talking over each other. And it would be kind of confusing. There were some stations that were called clear channel stations. I think they've done away with those now. But uh, WWL in New Orleans was one. WLS, WGN in Chicago was one in Nashville that broadcast the Grand Ole Opry and so forth. And you could hear those stations from miles away, hundreds of miles away. Because no other station would broadcast on that same frequency, and those were usually fairly powerful stations. I know at night, WWL in New Orleans would change from uh, their talk radio format and go to a country format. And when the disc jockey would come on, I think it was like 12 or 1 in the morning, he would always say, okay, you know, there's WWL and uh, giving a nighttime programming, so all you truckers plying the interstates, or if you're running a riverboat, or barges up and down the Mississippi River, you know, welcome to the station, and so forth. 
That was the first time listening to that station I ever heard Grandma Get Run Over by a Reindeer. <laughs> and I thought that was the greatest song I had ever heard. <laughs> How could somebody even think that up? But anyway, but listening to those conflicting voices was sometimes confusing. John tells us that we have different voices who are trying to get our attention and trying to teach us things which are not true. Now, he doesn't say it that way. He says something a little differently. So turn with me, if you would, to 1 John chapter 4, just the first six verses. John 4, verses 1 through 6. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. We are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. So John is talking about the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. And we're told to test the spirits. Now, we are not able to uh, bring a spirit into an interrogation room, sit him down in a chair, put a light in his eyes, or anything like that, because a spirit is, by nature, invisible. And it's an entity that's not able to be quantified in terms of dimensions and things like that. But the Holy Spirit... And false spirits do communicate to people. People who are aligned to the philosophy or the theology of the Holy Spirit or false spirits. And they do speak. And we can hear them and we can test them to see if what they're saying is true doctrine or false doctrine. Now, John lived roughly 2,000 years ago, but the matter of false spirits speaking started much earlier than that, all the way back to the Garden of Eden. God spoke to Adam and Eve, Adam in particular, told him that all the trees in the Garden of Eden were available for fruit except for one tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, which was there in the garden. They were not to eat of that. One day, and, and well, not only that, but God would come in the cool of the day to have fellowship and communicate with Adam and Eve. Okay? One day, the servant said to Eve, and I always have a lot of questions about that, did animals speak during this time, or was just uh, this one animal at that point in time that could speak? Had he talked to her before? I, I have a hard time 
myself, imagine if some animal came up to me and started talking, I would, you know, I'd be a little bit freaked out probably, especially if it was a snake. But just maybe, maybe the serpent had come along at different days and said, hi, Eve, how you doing? You know, you look good today and we lost a little weight. Yeah, okay, that's good, you know, whatever, whatever they would say. And then one day, at least one day he said, has God really said and questioned God's word and God's authority? Has he said you're not supposed to eat of that fruit? And, and she said, no, we're not to eat it. We're not to touch it. And because when we do, we're going to die. And he said, that's not true. You're not going to die. God just doesn't want you to be like him. Because if you eat of that, you will know good and evil like God does. So the snake must have gone on his way. And she's looking at the fruit. And the text seems to indicate that this was something she was already thinking about. She looks at it. It's desirable. She wants to have it. She takes it and eats it. And she gives it to her husband. He eats. And all of a sudden... Bang, something happened. So their eyes were opened. And now they did know evil, but it was not a good thing that they could now know this. A little bit later, God is uh, there in the garden. He confronts Adam and Eve and the serpent. It's in Genesis 3. And he makes a promise, a prophecy even. That the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent would have an enmity between them. And enmity, enmity is a, a violent hatred. But the day was coming when the seeds, singular, one descendant of Eve, was going to crush the serpent's head. Since that time, there have been the voices of God that has spoken, primarily through his word. And our position in our church, our theology, our understanding is that the Bible is given to us by God, by special revelation, and the original manuscripts were without error or anything of that nature. I don't have time to go into all the, the reasons why we believe that today, but that was John's position. And John wrote several of the books of the Bible. He wrote the Gospel of John, the book of Revelation, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. So he was someone who was acquainted with Scripture because he was writing Scripture. So there's the enmity between the seeds. There are a lot of examples I could give where these Voices are speaking to people, but let me just turn to one passage in 1 Kings chapter 21. 1 Kings chapter 21. If you have your Bibles want to turn to that, uh, please do so. I don't know what page number it is in the Pew Bibles. I didn't look that up. 303. 303, okay. And really the passage we're going to look at goes from verse 17 of chapter 21 all the way to verse 40 of chapter 22. I'm not going to read all of that. I'm just going to point out one or two things and kind of summarize the rest of the passage. But in this account, 
King Ahab wanted a vineyard that was next to his palace, next to his property, and that vineyard was owned by a man by the name of Naboth. So he approached Naboth and said, hey, sell me your vineyard because I want to uh, make a vegetable garden there and everything. And Naboth said no. And in Israel during that time, property belonged exclusively to individuals, property that was given to them at the time of the conquest and so forth. They were not to sell it, and it could not be taken from them. So then we go on, and um, we find that uh, Ahab is sort of pouting. He's upset because he can't have this property. His wife Jezebel comes along and said, you know, don't, you know, what, you, what are you doing? You're king. So this is what we're going to do. We can get two guys, worthless fellows they're called, and we're going to hire them to speak evil against Naboth. So have some city official have a party, Naboth's invited, and these two men speak up and say, we heard Naboth cursing God and blaspheming against God. And that was a crime that was punishable by death. So Naboth is taken out and put to death. Then lo and behold, there's no owner for this property, so Naboth can have it. Then we come to chapter uh, 21, verse 17. The word of the Lord came to Elijah the Tishbite, saying, Arise, go down to meet Ahab, king of Israel, who was in Samaria. Behold, he is in the vineyard of Naboth, where he's gone to take possession. So Ahab and Elijah meet up. Ahab says, Oh, you found me, my enemy. And Elijah says, because of what you have done, the Lord is going to take your life and going to take the kingdom away from you and your descendants. Ahab is a little bit repentant about that. And because of that, God's okay. He won't take the kingdom from you, but from your descendants. So Elijah was the voice of God speaking to Ahab. There was a little bit of effect because of that. But then we get uh, into the next chapter, three years uh, later, I think it is, or at least it says for three years, Syria and Israel continue without war. And then all of a sudden, Syria is kind of bearing down on Israel for a big fight. So Ahab calls up the king of Judah, the southern kingdom. They're going to make some kind of an alliance to fight against Syria. So Ahab wants to know if he's going to be victorious in this battle. So he calls in 400 prophets. Say, what, you know, what's going to happen with this battle? They all say, you know, it's going to be a slam dunk, Ahab. You're going to go in there with uh, the help of Judah, and you're going to just wipe them out. You're the man. You're going to be victorious. They're going to be toast, and everything's going to be good. Ahab says, isn't there anybody else who can prophesy for me? A, a, maybe a true prophet is kind of what he's implying. So they call up uh, Micaiah, who does prophesy against Ahab in verse 13 of chapter 22. And the messenger who went to summon Micaiah said to him, Behold, the words of the prophets were one accord, with one accord are favorable to the king, let your word be like the word of one of them and speak favorably. 
Well, they're saying, okay, Micaiah, you know, this is what everybody else has said. You got to say the same thing. So down in verse 15, chapter 22. When he came before the king, the king said to him, Micaiah, shall we go to Ramoth Gilead to battle or shall we refrain? And he answered, go up and triumph. The Lord will give into your hand the of the king. He seems to know that this isn't the real prophecy. Because he says, No, no, tell me, tell me the real, tell me the real thing. And he says, You're not gonna be victorious. You're gonna lose. It's gonna be the end of you if you go to battle. Now, it appears from the text that Ahab kind of knew this was a real prophecy. But did he listen to that? No. He listened to the 400 who said, yeah, you're going to be victorious. It's all going to be good. So he even disguised himself so they wouldn't know that he was king. He goes into battle and the things don't go well. And then in verse 34 of chapter 22, 1 Kings, but a certain man, a Syrian, but a certain man drew his bow at random and struck the king of Israel between the scale armor and the breastplate. Therefore he said to the driver of his chariot, turn around, carry me out of the battle, for I am wounded. And then later, Ahab died. They go to wash out the chariot, wash out the blood, kind of the same place where they threw uh, Naboth's body. And the dogs came and licked up the, uh, the blood. There were some other things about Jezebel. She lives on for a little while, but in 2 Kings 9, she's thrown out of a upper story window, and uh, the man who commanded that goes in, has something to eat and drink, and finally says, okay, go take care of Jezebel. She was, uh, you know, the king's wife, king's daughter, and all of that. And they go out there. The dogs already had their way with her. All that was left with, I think, was her skull and the palms of her hand and things like that. So God's word happened as he had prophesied, as he had said. Now, regarding Jesus, who told us the position that Jesus had? Was it not the Father who spoke from heaven at the time of Jesus' baptism and said, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased to listen to him? The Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus like a dove. Some people believe that Jesus really was the Son of God. That in a way they didn't understand that, that God had become man. Others did not believe that. In John chapter 8, Jesus is talking to some Jews who are not believing. And he tells them, I am the I am. Before Abraham was, I am. Couldn't be more clearer that he was saying, I am Jehovah. And so what did they do? They tried to put him to death. They didn't believe what he was saying. So now we come back to John in 1 John chapter 4. Don't believe every spirit, but test the spirits. 
because you will hear people saying things, some of which is true, some of which would be good Christian doctrine, other people saying things which is false doctrine. Well, where do these spirits come from? Well, the Holy Spirit is God, has existed from all eternity past, always will exist. But the other spirits are the spirit of the Antichrist, or if you want to, the spirit of the serpent, who is identified in Revelation as the devil. And John has already told us that Antichrists are coming, leading up to the Antichrist. These are people who are opposed not just to God, but to Jesus in particular. It's interesting that today, it, it, it seems as though almost any religion is okay, except Christianity. If you want to have anything, any mention of Jesus, that's verboten. You can't do that. That's why in a lot of circles, there's no more Christmas. It's holiday or winter holiday. We say Christmas because we know it's celebrating the birth of Christ and so forth. But there is that spirit which is still present with us today. There are people who speak from the words of the evil one, false doctrine. So how do we know if what we're hearing is true or not? John talks about one thing, about the incarnation. If someone says Jesus has not come in the flesh, then they're speaking falsehood. This was an issue during his time. He addresses this. We believe that the second person of the Trinity existed from all eternity past. The position he has in the Trinity is that of Son. The Nicene Creed says he's begotten, not made. He's not a creature in any way, shape, or form. Whatever it is that makes God God, Jesus is the same substance. And I don't know, and you don't know, how it was that uh, when the Holy Spirit came to Mary and then came upon her, and she conceived that the second person of the Trinity and that human baby were joined together. All we know is it happened. So that God, man, was there in the, in the person of Jesus Christ. Excuse me. Now, some people would say, well, I mean, if Jesus is supposedly God, there's no way he could die. And so what we think really happened was um, God looked down, here's this guy, Jesus. And so the, the son kind of goes into him and uh, lives in his body for a while. And then when he's on the cross, he kind of leaves because he can't die. So it wasn't any kind of a God-man thing. It was just almost a possession type of thing. That was just one of the things that was around. And uh, something I did, uh, actually did this morning, I was just kind of curious what I'd find. I looked online and said, is there a chart for Christian heresies? Handy to any chart, put on your wall, look at all these. And there were a lot. So one of the, what I just mentioned is one of the heresies that was there. There are other heresies that would say that Jesus was not 
two natures in one person, but really was uh, two people with one nature or something like that. And it was almost like a schizophrenic type of thing. You know, sometimes he's God, sometimes he's man. You know, it, it, it runs the gamut of almost everything. But the heresies will either deny that Jesus was God or they'll deny that he was really a man. Or they'll deny the Trinity. Some believe that it was even God the Father, you know, one God who died on the cross. And at any rate, that's kind of where we are. There's a lot of false teaching. These voices are speaking to you. So how do you know if something is true or something is false? Again, when I was uh, probably about the same age when I got that radio, I was interested in becoming a Secret Service agent. It just seemed like a cool thing to be. You know, what do I need to do? What kind of education? And what do they do? And all this. I need to guard the president. But at that time, the Secret Service was part of the Treasury Department. And one of the big things they did was track down people who were forging Social Security checks and stuff like that. But they also went after counterfeiters. And I was amazed to learn that agents did not ever spend time studying counterfeit money. What they would do would be to study genuine money, looking at it very carefully, feeling the, the paper, which is almost more like fabric than what we would call paper. They would look at the various designs. There were red and blue threads that were woven into the paper. There was the crispness of the images and all this kind of stuff. Now it's got even more sophisticated. There's uh, different, whatever you call those things they put in, holograms and all this kind of stuff. But even today, they still study genuine currency. And then, I was reading an article about this, or this sermon, in fact, and they said, yeah, once you, you kind of get in your mind what real money is actually like, and you pick up a counterfeit bill, you can tell almost immediately that it's counterfeit. So the way we were able to counter false doctrine is not by studying that which is false as much as it is by studying that which is true. So study God's Word. Read various books. That's certainly helpful. But study the Word to learn what is true and then the false will kind of jump out at you. Again, while I lived in New Orleans, that was kind of an interesting time. There were 10 years, my wife and I were. There was a fellow who was an entertainer. He thought he was a good singer, but he was not. And he would call into every radio station, uh, talk station, and would, you know, try to promote himself. And everybody, he was just a joke around town. He was a joke. But during the presidential election, he decided he would run for president. And so one of the things he did to promote his campaign was to print off a, a $23 bill, had his likeness on it, and had uh, different things that he was supportive of. He was actually arrested for counterfeiting. And this was in the news, uh, and it was reported what the judge did. So the day of the trial came, charges brought against him, counterfeiting $23 bills. 
And uh, the judge said, let me see one of those $23 bills of counterfeit. And he brought them up, and he said, okay, okay, I see it. And uh, then he said, let me see a real $23 bill. What do you think the prosecutor says? There is no $23 bill. And the judge says, how can you counterfeit something that doesn't exist? So he threw the, the case out. It was just uh, kind of harassment on the part of the authorities against this guy. So one of the reasons you should believe that there is true doctrine, right doctrine, is because there are those who go to great lengths to counterfeit it, to make it false. If you only had this passage, we might think that there was a duality, an equality between God and, and Satan, but there's not. God is much more powerful than Satan. Satan is a, a fallen angel. He does have some power in this world. He's an adversary of ours. The strength that we have to resist him comes from God himself, from the Holy Spirit. I believe it's James who says, resist the devil and he'll flee from you. We're not told to flee the devil. We're told to resist him and he'll flee from us. We're told greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. The spirit of Christ who is in us is the one who gives us understanding, the one who is able to, enables us to see the falsehood where it exists and to cling to that which is true. We have the word of God, which we're told is sharper than a double-edged sword. So what does Satan do? Well, you have the word, yeah, you got that. But, you know, is that, is that all you've got? Is that all you're going to rely on? You know, it's just, you know, it's, that's kind of a puny, puny resource you have there. And most people don't believe it anyway. So, you know, you, you quote to somebody some Bible verse, what good does that do? Remember that old, uh, that old movie where, um, with, um, what's the name of the movie? When uh, Crocodile Dundee. There you go. Sing your moment. Don't panic. Crocodile Dundee is in the streets of New York, and somebody comes up with him like a switchblade and demands his money. And uh, his girlfriend says, you know, give him your money because uh, he's got a knife. And he says, you call that a knife? And then he just you know, pulls out this. <laughs> this is a knife. <laughs> well, that's kind of what the Word of God is. It's, it's the knife, if you will. It's the sword. That's why it's always attacked. That's all, why it's always twisted. So John tells us to test the spirits. And we have someone in us who is greater than the world, greater than Satan, and he works to help us. The Bible is like those clear channel stations. 
things are laid out. We can compare passage to passage. We can learn. We can see things which are really easy to discern. More difficult passages are explained by other passages. We can really spend our lifetime studying God's Word and never exhaust all of its, all of its riches. And we learn that we are involved in a spiritual battle against the forces of evil. And God has given us the resources that we need in terms of the Bible, prayer, fellowship, all of those things to counter that which is false. That's one of the reasons why it's so important to, uh, to come to worship service on a regular basis because you'll be taught the Word of God. If you come on rare occasions, you'll learn something, but you're not going to have the depth of understanding of God's Word that you need. You won't be able to test the spirits because you're not going to know what the truth is. I've, I don't know if I've ever said this to Josh, but I was a pastor for like 40 some odd years. I enjoy listening to his sermons. Why? Because I learn new things when I listen to him. I learn from his sermons. Now, I admit, as a pastor and as a, a teacher, um, I start to listen to sermons critically. You know, what's the introduction like? You know, can I discern the points? All these kind of things. But after a few minutes into his sermons, I forget about that. I just listen to the sermon. So you can learn from this guy. When he finishes preaching from a passage, you know what that passage says. And that is a good thing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we come before you, we know that we are to test the spirits. Pray that you would give us the understanding of of your word so that we can know what, uh, what is true doctrine and what is false doctrine. Help us not to be afraid of that which is false, but help us to cling to that which is good. Father, we pray that you would help us to make it, take advantage of resources which are available to us, uh, either books that we've gathered over the years or some of the booklets that are even out on the table out uh, in the foyer. All of these things can help us understand your word and understand true doctrine about who you are, what you've done through Jesus Christ. What is your word? How can we rely upon it and so forth? Father, we thank you for that. We thank you that John has a concern for the truth and that we also would have that same concern. In Jesus' name, amen.